Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy-Lesser. And I am Stephanie Goldstein, and this is Life Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion, and that is what we love to talk about. You can follow us on Instagram at Life's Accessories Podcast and also on Facebook. You can also email us at Life's Accessories Podcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions. And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Also, do not forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Today, listeners, we are very excited to be joined by the one and only MJ Rose. By the way, I always wanted to go by initials. Did you? Yeah. I thought that'd be really cool, but I don't have good initials to go by. But MJ is cool, right? I think you do, but yes, I do. (laughs) MJ is good. MJ is a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestseller as well as an international bestseller. She has published more than 19 novels. That's not that many. And and three books on marketing. She's been published in more than 30 countries and sold over one and a half million books. Yes, yes. So the Fox TV show Past Lives was based on Rose's novel, The Reincarnationist. And MJ is a founding member of International Thriller Writers, founder of the first marketing company for authors, AuthorBuzz, and the co-founder with Liz Berry of 1001darknights.com. Wow. She is certainly accomplished. She does not let the grass grow, as my mother would No, she doesn't. No, exactly. MJ has been profiled in Time Magazine, Forbes, The New York Times, Business 2.0, Working Woman, Newsweek, and New York Magazine. She has appeared on the Today Show, Love the Today Show. We do. Fox News, no comment. The Jim Lair News Hour. (laughs) And features on her have appeared in dozens of magazines and newspapers in the U.S. and abroad, including USA Today, Stern, Le Officiel, Poets and Writers, and Publishers Weekly. MJ graduated from Syracuse University. Love the cues. Yep. And she spent the 80s. That's the 1980s, by the way. That's my favorite. Favorite 80s. Yes. Um, She spent the 1980s in advertising, which I am assuming has a little bit to do with her work in starting Author Buzz, because I know this is an author. It's so important to market your books. Almost as important as to write them. So we're definitely going to have a lot to talk to her about. Well, it'll be fun to hear what she's got to say. And I can't wait to find out which accessory she's chosen. Same. Hi, MJ, and welcome to Life's Accessories. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we can't wait to get into it. And I have the distinct honor to ask you the question that everyone wants to know, which is what accessory do you have to share with us today? I have an opal and a diamond antique ring that belonged to my great grandmother who had it in Russia and wore it as her only piece of jewelry when she came to America. She passed it down to her daughter, who was my great aunt, who gave it to my mother on her sweet 16. I had a little incident with it when I was five years old. My mother kept it. And then I inherited it when my mom passed away about 27 years ago. That is like the sisterhood of the traveling pinky ring. (laughs) Yeah, That's quite a story. What's the incident from when you were five years old? The incident is what makes it so important. Okay. Okay. So 
I write a lot about jewelry and art and beautiful things. And when I was obsessed with jewelry, art and beautiful things from the time I was a little girl, but never so much with anything but this Opel ring. And whenever my mother would wear it, the story goes, because I don't really remember it, I would touch it and stare at it. And I would tell her that the world was inside the opal. Because if you guys, you know, really study opals, you know that it's all these beautiful colors. Opals are actually layers of water trapped mm -hmm. in stone, or they can be trapped in wood or bone or all kinds of things. There's fossils that are opals and pieces of wood that have opalized. Mm -hmm. and, but this is a stone. And I would tell her that the world was in, inside the stone and, and she would, you know, listen and tell me, of course it was. She was out to dinner one night and I was a very bad little girl all the time, especially <laughs> after my sister had been born. Typical sibling rivalry. Yeah, It was actually five, probably five and a half when this happened. My mother was out to dinner with my father and I was left alone with the babysitter and I would always steal into my parents' room and go through their things. So I opened my mother's jewelry box and I took out the ring and I shoved it on my ring finger. My mother wore it on her pinky. I okay. put it on my ring finger. I didn't shove it. I put it on my ring finger. I was so happy. It was the most beautiful thing. I had the world on my hand. Aww. And, you know, then it was time to go to bed. I forgot I was wearing it. I wore it to bed. And in the, mo in the morning, went to breakfast with my mother and she looks at my hand and she's like, oh my God, what is on your finger? So I, you know, have to tell her she, well, I don't have to tell her she knows what I did. So she says, take off the ring. Ring doesn't come off. Mm. Oh no. So <laughs> she's like, takes me and puts water on the, on my finger. Ring doesn't come off. She puts oil on my finger. Ring doesn't come off. There's nothing that she can do to get the ring off of my finger. And by now my finger is really swollen. Right. And you're never going to get the ring off the finger. And I have to go to school. <laughs> with an opal and diamond antique ring that belonged to her grandmother. Not as one does. Big. I mean, you yeah, can see it. It's not, big. it's not. It's not incredibly valuable. Show from and tell. Point yeah. of view, but, yeah. Show but she has tell. no choice. I go to school, nursery school or kindergarten. I guess I go to kindergarten wearing this opal and diamond ring. I can only imagine, right, what the crazy right. teachers yeah. thought. Yeah. Come home, uh, and my mother takes me to the jewelry, a jewelry store, a local jewelry store. I lived in New York City on Madison Avenue and 80th Street. Takes me to a local jewelry store where the jeweler has to literally saw off the ring. And there's oh. a way that they do it. You know, they, right. they, yeah. they make the metal hot or cold, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. And then they stick something under it. That, uh -huh. And then they, anyway, Check. they saw off the ring. And then they were, they fixed the ring. They, they had to saw it off, so they fixed it. Yeah. For some reason that I don't know, when they fixed it, they left the cut marks of where huh. they sawed it off. They re-soldered it. But when yeah. you look at the shank of the ring, you can still see the cut marks in the gold where yeah. he sawed off the ring. And the reason that this accessory is, uh, is so important is, is a little bit of is that the next part. So we're home and my mother's trying to figure out how to punish me. <laughs> and she asks me why I did that. Like, why did you go into my room and why did you take out the ring? And I proceed to make up this insanely elaborate story about how the house was being burgled. And I knew that it was the most important thing that she had. 
And so I snuck into the room while the burglar was in the kitchen and I took the ring and I knew I had to put it on because if I just held it, then he'd take it out of my hand. And I make up this whole crazy story. And my mother looks at me and she says, you know, I've always known you were going to be a writer, but I am now completely convinced. Oh, and that's in my amazing. head, wow. it's always been the moment yeah. that I realized that I was going to be a writer and that she knew I was going to be a writer. And she, I mean, she'd always encouraged me to be artistic. I was a really artistic kid drawing and painting and everything. But she had, my mother had worked for um, Judith Krantz. She was, mm-hmm. her last name was not Krantz at the time, the author mm-hmm. of scruples and many other Mm -hmm. books in the fiction editor at good housekeeping magazine Mm -hmm. and my mother had been her assistant and my mother used to read the short stories before judith did to decide if they were good enough to go in the magazine then she'd give her choices to judith she was a really avid reader and she loved that i loved to read and she was so excited at the idea even though i was only five and a half that i was going to be a writer And she really, really encouraged me. I, of course, rebelled, as most kids do. And I decided I was going to become an artist. And I went to art school. But as it turned out, even though I went to art school and I became an art director and advertising agency, I eventually switched over to being a copywriter and eventually did start writing, as my mother always knew I would. But she never saw me publish. She knew when she died, Uh I'd written three books. I'd gotten an agent. I had not gotten any offers. On my 30th birthday, my mother and my father made up a fake name of a publishing company and bought my novel for a dollar with a promise to publish it. I love your parents. Yeah, they were so encouraging of everything. My dad's still alive. He's 103. I just came back from seeing him. When she died, um, shortly after she died, I did um, get a publishing deal. Well, I I started doing an experiment with my book, but I had to come up with a name because my real name was used by too many authors. My last name, there were a couple of very big authors at the time who had my last name. My first name is really hard to pronounce or spell. And I didn't, it's Melise, but you spell it M-E-L-I-S-S-E. And everybody's always correcting me and telling me that I don't, hi, Melissa, do you know you (laughs) you spelled your name? (laughs) So a friend of mine said, you should take a name that you're going to feel like it's yours. That's going Mm -hmm. to really matter to you. And you're going to be comfortable with it because if the book takes off, you'll be that name, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. So I took the M from Elise. And since my mom had died and always wanted me to be a writer, but had never seen me published, I took her name, which was Jacqueline Rose, and then our last name, but Jacqueline Rose. And she's the J Rose of the MJ Rose. Oh, oh my that's God. Really, I that's really nice. all comes together. Yeah. yeah. Circle. That's incredible. Yeah. I love that you told us what the initials stand for because we pre-recorded your bio and I said to Stephanie, I was like, MJ, I always wanted yeah. initials. I think that'd be yes. really cool. To be yes. MJ. So thank you for telling us that. Yeah. So I'd mentioned to you before offline that we are friendly with your publicist, Anne-Marie, and she had told us offline that you are in love with jewelry, which is obvious. We are too. Hence, we host this podcast. But that jewelry plays a big role in your storytelling and that you buy a piece of jewelry based on a character when you start a new book, which I think is amazing. Mm. Um, can you tell us more about that process? And when did you start buying the jewelry based off of a character in your book? And can you give us some examples of that? Sure. So the first time I didn't buy it, the first time I had it, with the first book that I wrote, the first book that got published, I had a really hard time. Every writer, I think, starting out has a very hard time. It's very hard to all of a sudden create an entire world out of 
words and people it and give it like sustenance and give it empathy and give it all the things readers are going to need. So I read a book. I don't even remember what book it was, but a book that talked about how to create your characters, because that was what I was having the hardest time with. And it said that you should interview your character. I came up with something much more evolved. I interviewed my character. I also created a journal for my character that had what she wore, where she ate, what she ate, what movies she liked, just everything about her to try to give her dimension. Mm -hmm. And in the process of describing her, because I love jewelry, and I came up with like what jewelry she was wearing. And she was wearing the Opal ring because I by then had the ring. I wore the ring the whole time that I was writing the book, sort of as a, I thought when I started as a talisman or an amulet to help me write the book. But by the time I was finished, I realized that the ring actually connected me to the character. Even though it had been my mother's ring, I'd come up with a whole story for why that character had that ring. And it wound up being a really important aspect of the character. So when I wrote my next book, I knew I had to create the character the same way because it had worked. And that time I didn't have anything that worked for the character. So I went out and bought a piece of costume. Actually, this wound up being the first book that got published, the one I'm about to tell you. So it was not the first novel, but it was the first one that got published. I went out and bought an an engagement ring for her that was obviously not real. You can't go buy a (laughs) $25,000 engagement ring for a character for a book that you haven't even sold yet. Who doesn't exist. I did find a really fabulous ring in an antique store that wasn't real, but was perfect. It was paste. And that became her engagement ring. And, And so it's every single book. There's been something that belonged to the character. It's always been something I could wear. So it's almost always been jewelry. Sometimes it's been a watch, like one character had her father's watch. One character had a boyfriend's watch. So it's not always like the character's own thing. And it's not always expensive, sadly, but it is something very meaningful. And it's Mm -hmm. been a really important part of, it like connects me to the character in a very visceral way. When I'm stuck, I look at it. I touch it. I usually wear it the whole time I'm writing the book, not just when I'm writing, but through the whole duration of writing the book. If it's possible, you know, with one of my books, I had to borrow a piece of jewelry and it was a very good piece of jewelry and I couldn't wear it all the time, but I try to wear it. Do you have a favorite other than that engagement ring or? You mean of all the pieces that I bought, what my favorite one is? Yeah, what's the most special one to you? Well, other than than your ring, right? Yeah, I don't actually know what the most special one was. I know one of the most unusual ones was for a book that wound up being my favorite book that I've ever written. It's a book called The Secret Language of Stones, which is about a young jeweler in Paris uh, right at the end of World War I. Mm -hmm. And I bought a tank watch which was a, a real world war one watch a tank watch by the way is during world war one wristwatches had just become popular but the glass on the i'm showing you as if anybody can see it <laughs> i'm pointing to a wristwatch but okay. um on a wristwatch the glass part of the watch was the soldiers were in trenches climbing through the rocks and the glass would get broken so jewelers created their cages that stop that go over the top of the watch and stop it from the glass from cracking. And they're usually some kind of grid or they have holes for the numbers. They're really fascinating. You can Google them. And That's I was so really cool. lucky. Yeah. So she made one of the things she did 
as this young jeweler working for the jeweler she was apprenticed with, was she had to make the cages for the tank watches. And so I, in my head, had to have one of her tank watches. Well, I don't know that since she was imaginary, this certainly wasn't one of her tank watches, but I was able to find a tank watch for not a lot of money at all, for like $100 on eBay, that was an authentic World War I tank watch that worked. And that was such an amazing thing to find this 100-year-old watch that still worked, that a soldier had worn. It was just an incredible experience. So that's the one that I sort of remember the most. That's neat. Thanks for sharing that. That's so cool. You're such a prolific writer, but can you tell us a little bit about your latest book, The Jeweler of Stolen Dreams, which tells the fictionalized version of Suzanne, am I saying her name right, Belle Perron? She apparently, well, you can tell us more, but she was one of the jewelry's most famous collectors. And what made you want to write about her? And how did you become interested specifically in her? Okay. Well, first, let me tell you, just to make everything full circle, one of the reasons that I was very excited to get to do this and to be asked the question was that I used that Opal Ring story for this character, not for Suzanne Belpron, but for the other character in the book, as what the very beginning of the book is kind of explains her relationship to her mother, which is different than mine, but there is the ring that she takes from her mother and puts on her finger and has to have it cut off. Mm. So it really works so perfectly for this interview because it really did come full circle. So yes, Suzanne Belpron. So I wanted to write about her because I fell in love with her jewelry in 2009. I saw two bracelets in an antique store in Paris and went into the store to find out about them And the woman who owned the store, who I became friendly with, um, told me her name. She told me that there was very little known about her, that she was out of fashion, but that she, her name was Lydia Corte. Lydia Corte was in love with her work and Karl Lagerfeld had recently discovered her work in Lydia's shop and he was buying it up. She told me a little bit about Suzanne Belpron. She said she was the most famous woman at the time, the most famous woman, jeweler, that no one had ever created jewelry like her. And Lydia was madly in love with her designs. So I keep a notebook, every writer does, of things that are fascinating. So I had written her name down. I couldn't afford the bracelets, even though she wasn't still very popular. They were still fabulous antiques. I started, I just had her name down. And and about, I think, seven years later, a book came out about her, a coffee table book. And I had always had an eye out for like anything about her that I could find. I bought the coffee table book and read it and really found out what her life was like. I mean, it's, it is really a coffee table book, but there is copy about her life. And the thing that so intrigued me was that she, among a million fascinating things, she was the most famous, probably is the most famous female jewelry designer. During World War II, she was in the resistance. And it's a secret what she did in the resistance, but she won the Legion of Honor medal for whatever it was she did. And no matter what I did and who I talked to and what I tried, I couldn't find anybody who would tell me what she did. And I eventually started writing the book just three years ago. And I didn't write it for a long time because I couldn't find out enough about her, but she wouldn't leave me alone. And I started writing it. And then I was lucky enough to find her great niece living a mere 20 miles away from me, who was able to help me figure out a lot more of what she did during the resistance. I love all the detail and all of the research you put into characters and just the history of things. And 
the stories that you're able to tell, and you also help others tell their stories. You own a marketing company called Author Buzz. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that came out of the fact that I was in advertising before mm-hmm. I was published and after I was published. And I was really shocked when I was first published, which was 1999, to find out how if I wanted to help my own book, I didn't think the publisher was doing enough marketing wise because I I was an advertising was, you know, the creative director of an advertising agency. I knew a lot about marketing and I was shocked at how little marketing even then was being done for books. So I started talking to people and realized authors didn't know what they could do for their own books and publishers weren't overly helpful. And I started teaching a class called Author Buzz, how to buzz your own book. And people would take the class, they'd learn all about how to market their own book. And then at the end of the class, they'd say, you know what, it's great. I don't want to do it. Will you do it for me? So I created the advertising agency to help authors do it for them. But it became very successful. And we also work with a lot of publishers doing different. We have some things exclusively that publishers buy from us. We work with all the major publishers and everybody from debut authors to best-selling authors hybrid authors and traditionally published. So it's been going strong since 2005. That is so cool. I mentioned this to you offline a little bit. I feel like I have a little bit of a similar background in that I worked in PR and marketing, and then I started writing books and I felt the same way you did. I had these great publishers and sometimes some great publicists, but I guess I'm the anomaly that I like writing books, but I also like marketing them. So I felt like sometimes I would be doing more than the publisher would be doing. Cause as you know, in this day and age, the publishers, they can only do so much. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really wonderful that you created this company to help authors in a way that they very much need it. It's also changed a lot. When I yeah. started doing this in 1999, publishers didn't want authors to do anything. And now we've come to a point where if an author doesn't do a lot and doesn't have a lot to offer, or isn't willing to get their hands dirty, publishers don't want them because publishers can't, uh, for a million reasons, it would take 72 podcasts, but publishers can't do what all the things that need to be done. Right. Yes. I remember I had a publisher try to get me a book event and they couldn't. And then I got the book event and I was like, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's crazy to see what's been happening. Um, Speaking of author events and marketing your books, are you, do you have any upcoming events that you want to tell us about either in person or online or book club, stuff like that? The book has been out for a while. So I've stopped doing events. I'm doing occasional podcasts and have a great one coming up with Carol Wooten, who's a major jewelry. She does a podcast called if these jewels could talk, which for jewelry lovers, you actually should watch it. She's a major jewelry writer. And we just did an interview earlier this week about Suzanne Belperon and the book. Oh, oh neat, neat. We should talk to her if you yeah, can talk. Yeah. Absolutely. So going back to that special ring of yours, do you think there's anything else in your in your closet that will make an appearance in an upcoming huh. novel? Oh, one never knows. <laughs> Are you working on a new book or a new project right now? Yes, I'm about to start something new that um, is a big secret project that I'm really excited about. And I can't wait to see what jewelry shows up in it. Oh, fun, fun. Well, MJ, where can our listeners find you? MJRose.com, really easy. Okay. 
Very easy. Perfect. Yeah, we'll check that out. Are you on social media too? Do you have Instagram? Yeah, I do. I'm on Instagram as um, MJ Rose author. Okay. And um, I'm on Instagram more than Facebook. I have a Facebook page, but I don't, I don't do it much anymore. I prefer Instagram these days. I feel like that's the vibe. I think Instagram is where sort of most of the creative people are hanging out these days. It's fun to look at all the pictures. Yeah. Well, we so love talking to you, MJ. And I feel like you've inspired us to go back into our jewelry boxes and take out some of those grandmother's rings and charm bracelets and all that cool stuff. And I just think what you do is so cool by connecting jewelry to storytelling in the way that you do it. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. And if you find a great story in your jewelry boxes, please email me. Oh, we oh. sure will. <laughs> we have uh, some homework, Stephanie. I know. I, know. <laughs> I mean, we should like <laughs> screenshot our texts back and forth because there, our texts are like, oh, what should I do with my grandmother's pin? What should I do right. with this necklace? Did I tell you about this? Yeah. I'd love to see anything that you find that's particularly fascinating. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. And I plan on finding that book. Oh, okay. Good. Sounds good. 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 All right. Thanks. Excellent. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Life's Accessories. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate us, and get in touch. Thanks for tuning in. 